0: Uh, Before we get into our study here in the book of Luke, uh, this is something we like to do here once a year, is uh, have Gideon Sunday. We have a representative from the Gideons get a chance to come up and share with the ministry of the Gideons... Does And I, I love the Gideons, and I'm not going to try to steal all of uh, Mark's words here, but I love the Gideons because I love the pure simplicity of just getting God's word out to as many people as possible. We firmly believe, as it says in the book of Isaiah, that God's word does not return void. We firmly believe, as it says in Hebrews, that God's word cuts right to the heart, and I love the ministry of getting God's Word out and people hearing it and being transformed by what the Word of God does. So we're a big fan of the Gideons, and without much further ado, Mr. Schwebert's going to come up and share some things that's going on here with the Gideons, and uh, we're always blessed to have that.
1: Good morning, everyone. That doesn't happen very often that I get applause before I say anything, so I don't know whether it kind of has me unnerved now, I guess, a little bit like that. But uh, thank you. I'm going to start with that. I'm going to finish with that as well. I want to say thank you for your faithful and your loyal support for the Gideon's ministry over these many years that uh, we've worked together like that. I have indeed been here before. Pastor James was Talking with me in the back a little earlier, he says, Mark, we're giving you one additional chance to finally get this right. (laughs) Let me begin this way. Would you like to be part of making a difference in people's lives, not just for a day, but for all eternity? That's a challenge I offer you. You say, Mark, that sounds impossible. Pastor James just he touched on that just a moment ago. Isaiah 55, verse 11, indeed says this. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Let me share with you one testimony that I found to be really quite powerful and how having God's word can change, or in some cases, even save a life. Terry Hensley was a single mom in Billings, Montana. She was working a full-time job. Life was difficult. Life was tough. She knew her life was meaningless and spiraling downhill. When she looked at herself in the mirror, all she seen was failure. She knew she had reached the bottom when she found herself in a darkened closet with a loaded pistol in her hand, about to take her life when she cries out to God, if for some reason I should not end my life here and now, you got to do something. Just then her son burst through the front door of their home, says, Mom, Mom, look what I've got. She composed herself as best she could, put the pistol away, and went to see what her son wanted to share with her. what her son was holding was a copy of a New Testament that Gideon had recently handed out to him that day, probably at school or on the sidewalk. I only read this because I want to get this very accurate. Terry says, "Gideon was listening and doing God's will, and had no idea that a life was literally seconds away from eternity." That day, she and her son opened God's Word together, and she began to learn of God's love. Powerful message. You wouldn't think just sharing a copy of Scripture, like I held up, about a dollar and thirty-five cents. Not a real big deal, but wow, what power to change people's lives. Most of you are familiar with the work of the Gideons. We are an interdenominational association of Christian business and professional men. Our mission is very much in harmony with you as a congregation as well. I like to use these words. It's from a hymn from my church that I think says it far better than I can. We all are one in mission. We all are one in call. Our varied gifts united by Christ, the Lord of all. A single great commission compels us from above to plan and work together that all may know Christ's love. That working together I view as a three-way partnership between certainly our Lord and Savior, all of you in this congregation and the congregations in many places across this country, and the ministry of the Gideons. We're able to go in places far away and nearby that we perhaps as individuals as a congregation would not be able to do. We're able to reach 75% of the world's population with scriptures translated into 80 different languages, 190 plus countries. That's pretty far flung. But it's just not about faraway lands. Here in Henry County in this last year, we distributed at the fair, at schools, hospitals, hotels, The prison, all these typical places that you'll find Gideon's testaments being placed. We distributed slightly more than 3,000. That's pretty significant. The population has a county uh, population of about 30,000 people. It's a significant amount. But I wanted to tell you that it's not just far away, but it's here right at home as well. Our purpose as Gideons is to win others to Christ. As Gideons, we're able to accomplish this. By personal witnessing distribution of scriptures and all those places that i just mentioned well how can you participate how can you help certainly and foremost i'll say offer your prayers again when god's wills do something it will happen let's pray and work together that is accomplished join us a gideon member i know there's one or two gideons in your congregation already like that and I'll be happy to visit with any of you after the service today to answer any questions you might have. You can provide financial support a number of ways. One, your congregation is very generous in providing <laughs> uh, contributions to the Gideon ministry. And I thank you very, very much for that. There's a Bolton insert that you have in your bulletin today. There's cards that look something like this in honor or in thinking of you or in remembrance. Very appropriate way to acknowledge a special event in someone's lives, particularly moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas that maybe already have every material possession that they want. We're getting really, really near tax time again. Wonderful time of year. All of your contributions to the Gideons are tax deductible. But here's an important point that that I want to stress. This has been the case, is and will be the case for the Gideons. 100% of the contributions you make for scriptures go to the purchase and distribution of those scriptures. All the distribution costs, all the administrative costs, all that is taken care of by the dues, getting members' pay, or the contributions they make through their local camps. So it's a very efficient system, and you continue to have full assurance that those funds go to purchase and place those (coughs) scriptures. I want to end up where I started and say thank you. Thank you for the warm invitation. Thank you for allowing me here again, and uh, I certainly appreciate that. Let us continue to work together to make a difference in people's lives, not just for the day, but for all eternity. Thank you, Pastor James. Thank you, Harvest Fellowship.
0: Once again if you have any questions about the Gideons you can talk to Mark there after church and uh, we sure appreciate him coming out and also the church is going to be giving a, a love gift too to the Gideons just to continue to support the ministry that they do. We think very highly of just that once again simplicity of getting God's word out there and allowing that to transform lives. So, much out, excuse me, without much further ado, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 11. <coughs> book of Luke chapter 11. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 14 through 26 today. 14 through 26, continuing our study here through the book of Luke. Now, last couple of messages here in our study through the book of Luke. It's been about uh, service and ministry. Last week was about prayer. And this morning is about uh, demons. (laughs) This is not one of those topics that you would normally say, Hey, if you're doing a topical, we haven't taught on demons in a while. Let's bring that out. This is part of the beauty of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Luke, is some of these topics that you normally wouldn't see or talk about, you get a chance to talk about. Now, this subject of the spiritual world has popped up numerous times throughout through the book of Luke. And I think it's important for us to just do a little quick review background here before we get going into this. Because this is what you see. Anytime the subject comes up with the spiritual realm, there's generally two extremes. Extreme number one is the proverbial ostrich sticking their head in the dirt. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to hear about it. I know there's a heaven. I know there's a hell. Don't go into detail. It just makes me nervous. It makes me scared. It makes me worried. The other extreme, people have Satan hiding behind every single tree, jumping up to grab you at every single circumstance that he can. And instead of walking in faith, you're walking in fear. We need to find the balance. There's actually a great passage in Corinthians where Paul writes, Let us not be ignorant. Do not be ignorant of his devices. I believe that we need to have a scriptural background understanding of who the enemy is and what his plan and purpose and how he goes about it. So anything we talk about here in just this quick review is just straight Bible verses. This is what we know, the background of Satan. First off, always remember, he's a created being. Never forget that. A created being, created by God. There is no power struggle between God and Satan Satan was created by God, and we know how the story ends. We know from the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel that Satan fell because of pride. And that pride was sin that then he was cast out. And when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. Presumably those third of the angels are the demons that we're talking about here in the gospel message. Satan has them organized into ranks. And he also has them, it looks like, organized into geographical areas that they cover to fulfill a very simple mission. John 10.10 says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what we see here. Now, as believers, it's important to know this. This is what we believe, and this is what we teach, and this is our biblical background for this. We believe as Christians, if you are born again and saved in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Bible says you are sealed and protected. We believe that 1 John 4.4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is in us? The Holy Spirit. Who is in the world? The enemy. So we believe as Christians that we do not have to worry about being demon-possessed, etc. Now, as believers, though, there's another term, and it's a term that you don't use much in English language. It's out of 2 Corinthians 12. Paul uses the term, buffet. And that word literally means to beat. It doesn't mean to hit. It means to strike continually again and again and again. That what happens is, even though as a Christian... Satan cannot be in you, the demons can't be in you, the Holy Spirit is. You can be buffeted. You can be hit again and again and again. That's what we run into more as believers. We also know from the book of Job, in the first couple chapters, we get a behind-the-scenes view of what's going on in heaven, and we see the enemy being in Job's life causing disruption. It's important to note that the reason the enemy was in Job's life, he was only in Job's life with God's permission. God allowed that to happen. So that is a very quick background to what we're talking about. And the main reason we're not going into more detail is because really the purpose of the lesson today is not the scriptural, factual information of the unclean spirits. It's more how the people reacted to who Jesus was and what he was doing. But we believe it's important to mention this background to clear up any confusion. So there's the quickest summary you'll ever have of numerous chapters in the Bible of unclean spirits. With that being said, let's jump into verse 14 of Luke 11. And it says and he was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marvelled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. So pretty straightforward here. We run into this numerous times in our study in Luke. There is a demon-possessed person, Jesus comes, cast out the demon. Now, we've covered in other parts in the book of Luke that the reason some of these demons were cast out was by prayer and by fasting, and we've covered that stuff. So Jesus cast out the demon, and now the uh, person that was now mute can now speak. The people marveled, verse 14. But you had this other group of people, verse 15. says, well, you know how Jesus does it? power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a name that either means Lord of the house, some translation, Lord of the flies, and this idea that Beelzebub would have been another name for Satan. And so they're basically saying, well, you know, the reason he can cast out demons is because he's empowered by Satan himself. So the reason he can do the demon thing is because he has a demon inside of himself. And we're going to get to that point here in a little bit. But verse 16, others testing him wanted a sign from heaven. This is the theme that's going to happen here for the next couple of weeks in our study in Luke is they want a sign. Eventually, Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give you is that I'm going to die on the cross in three days later, which is a pretty good sign. But they wanted another sign, something else. This wasn't good enough. I mean, yeah, we've seen you cast out the demon. The guy couldn't talk. Now he can talk. Yeah, I see that. But but more. That's not enough. That's a little phrase I want to talk about for a second in verse 16. Have you ever run into what I call a not enough person? There's just, there's just not enough. You know, those not enough people... They, you come and they say something about God. And so you tell them about all the amazing things God does. But it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. They come with Bible questions. So you answer every Bible question you have. But it's, it's not enough. They see God working in their lives. And you try to say, do you not see the Lord moving in your life? Do you not see what God's doing in your life? That's not enough. There has to be more. More signs. More proof. More evidence. More evidence. I don't know how many times over the years I've met with a not enough person. And I always thought, I can convince him. I've seen miracles. You want to know about miracles? Let me tell you about all the people I've seen out here that's been touched and been healed. Let me tell you about all the different things I've seen. The, the, the drunks and the druggies that are now born again and walking with the Lord. Let me tell you about all those people. That's not enough. Okay? You come with your Bible questions. Come with every question you have about the Bible. We'll sit down. We'll meet. We'll talk. We'll answer every question you have. You answer every question. Still not enough. See, the problem is they're walking in evidence, not walking in faith. And so what happens is there's never going to be enough evidence. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, don't get caught into some argument of trying to prove God exists you'll never have enough evidence to prove God exists. You know why? Because God, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, He never once puts that burden on your shoulders that you have to prove that He exists. He simply says, look at creation, and that's enough proof on its own. If that person's not willing to accept creation as proof of God existing, there's not much more you can do. I'm not against apologetics. I'm not against defending the faith. Don't take that statement the wrong way. But what I'm saying is... You will never have enough evidence to prove to a not enough person that God's there. They saw Jesus in the flesh, heal people, cast out demons, walk on water, feed the 5,000, feed the 4,000, calm the seas. They saw all of it and it still wasn't enough. There has to be an element of faith in this. Faith comes by what? Hearing by the Word of God. So keep giving them scriptures, keep praying for them, but don't get yourself pulled down to the not enoughs. I used to spend so much time, and then I started realizing, I can't do it. This is between them and the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart. Because if Jesus himself right here, when they were seeking a sign, Jesus, do some circus act, show us that you're really him. He says, now the best sign I can give you is I will die and three days later rise again. That's the best sign you can give somebody. So, this theme of wanting more. Wanting more. Give us more. Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to him, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God... Has come upon you. I love how simple Jesus handles complex issues. Do you ever realize that? In life, we're faced with a lot of complex issues. And we, as human beings, with our little minds, spend all this time hashing and rehashing and thinking and planning, trying to figure out deep answers. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I mention this to you all the time, is it talks about the simplicity of Jesus. So here's a pretty deep question. You're casting out demons by Beelzebub. Prove us that you're not. Jesus comes back in just a couple quick little statements. And he very simply says, listen, if I was empowered by Satan to cast out the demons of Satan, what does that do to make any sense? That would destroy the house that Satan is trying to build. So instead of building up the kingdom of Satan, I'd be destroying it by casting out demons. The house would fall. That makes no sense. And then he goes in verse 19 saying, listen, your own countrymen are casting out demons too. Are you going to tell me that they're casting them out by the power of Satan as well? Doesn't make any sense. The only logical answer is verse 20, I'm casting out demons by the power of God. What a simple answer. Why would Satan cast out his own demons? Are you going to say your own countrymen are casting out demons by the power of Satan? No. The only answer is, I am doing this by the power of God. Sometimes, that answer to that really complex situation you're facing in life is not as complex as you think. The answer may be as simple as just Christ. Now, before you think I'm oversimplifying it, let's keep reading. Verse 21, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace... His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now there's a different few different ways to look at this. I'm gonna tell you the way I look at it. Verse twenty one the strong man would be the enemy. He's guarding his own palace. But then somebody stronger, verse twenty two, comes and takes care of him, who is Jesus. So you got to remember, I grew up in a church with the classic hymns, and we always sang that one hymn, you know, this is our father's world, right? Remember that? Problem is, not against the hymn, but from a Bible perspective, the Bible makes it very clear that Satan is the god of this age and the ruler of this world. See, sometimes Christians come up to me, I shouldn't say Christians, other people come up to me and say they have a hard time believing in a God that allows a world to happen like this. I say, I agree with you 100%. If God wanted the world to be like this, if this was God's design for life, I would not want to believe in that God either. This is not God's plan for this world. If you want God's plan for this world, go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Look at the beauty of creation. Look at the beauty of the Garden of Eden. That's God's design for this world. Genesis 3, sin comes in and screws up the entire plan. So this world that we're living in, this is the result of... Of the God of this age and the ruler of this world, Satan. This is a fallen, decrepit world. Right now, verse 21, the strong man is guarding this world. Aren't you thankful to know in verse 22 the stronger one's coming to defeat him? We know how it ends. We read Revelation. We see how it ends. And it's in the process of God defeating the power, the stranglehold that Satan has on this. And we know what happens. The strong man is defeated because the stronger man comes, verse 22, overcomes him, takes from him everything he trusted, and now we know where salvation comes. See, and Jesus is trying to make this very clear. This is a black and white thing. Verse 23, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This is black and white. You're either saved or you're not. You're either with Jesus or you aren't. Too often as Christians, instead of having two groups, we create three groups. There's the saved group. They're going to heaven. Then there's the really, really, really bad people, and we just don't want to talk about them. Those really bad people, they just go to hell. And there's this huge middle group, this huge middle group, and we use fancy terms like they're searching, this huge middle group that they're agnostic. See, we have this huge middle group. God doesn't. See, if I talk to somebody, and I I let the Spirit lead, I'm not being mean, but if I talk to somebody and we get to the conversation of salvation, and I say, are you saved? If they come back and they say, well, I'm searching, I usually say, well, then you're not saved. Because you're still searching. If somebody comes to me and they're trying to sound really intelligent, say, well, I wouldn't call myself saved. I would consider myself an agnostic. Well, then you're not saved. It's it's very cut and dry. And what we do as Christians is, once again, to not hurt people's feelings and to not think that our loved ones may not be saved. We use terms, searching, agnostic, etc. Jesus makes it pretty clear here in verse 23, if you're not with him, you're against him. See, Jesus is making this abundantly clear. Either the strong man is ruling your life or the stronger man is ruling your life. You have to choose which one that is. Your life is either in the hands of the enemy or it's in the hands of your Savior. It's that black and white. See, we still think, though, we have some power in what we do and what we say. See, did you catch what happens here? Only Jesus is the one that can fix problems. In verses 21 and 22, the strong man has armed and is guarding this. Only Jesus is the one strong enough to come and defeat the enemy. Only him. We still think it can be us. And even as mature believers, we think it can be us. We say phrases like, "You know what? Things are tough right now. You know what? I just need to get focused." I just, I just need to get going in the right direction here. You know what? My marriage is going south a little bit. I just need to be a better husband. I just need to be a better father. Um, work's not going good. I just need to work a little harder. And we put all the emphasis on us. Me. I'm the stronger man that I can do this. I can fix my marriage. I can fix my job. I can fix problems. If I wanted to quit drinking, I'd quit drinking right now. I could. That doesn't have any power over me. I could stop anytime I wanted to. Fill in the blank with any sin you want. Cuss? I, I don't have to cuss. I just choose to. We're the stronger man. See, according to these passages right here, that's not true. The stronger man is Jesus and Jesus alone. And we can't overcome anything in our lives. We can't. It has to be through Christ and Christ alone. But even once again as mature believers, we use phrases like, you know what, I'm feeling a little dry spiritually. I just need to get back on track. I just need to, I need to, well, yeah, there's a blessing of being in the Word, there's a blessing of being in prayer, there's a blessing of serving, but you can't spiritually take care of yourself. If I could spiritually take care of myself, why did Jesus die on the cross? I can't. I need the stronger man to come in, verse 22, overcome and win the battle for me. Which takes us right to verses 24 through 26. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. When he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. See, I clean my life up for a little bit. I do verse 25. I sweep, I dust, I put my house in order. Problem is, I put my house in order. And so since I put my house in order, that means the stronger man of Christ is not protecting my house. And so since the stronger man of Christ is not protecting my house, my house will fail, my house will fall. Do you not know somebody like that? They're the person that struggles with fill in the blank with whatever sin you want to fill it in. Drugs, alcohol. They struggle with alcohol. So you know what? They reach a point of just botting out and they're going to quit drinking they quit drinking maybe for a week, two weeks, three weeks they put their house in order they've cleaned, they've dusted their house they've done verse 25 but the stronger man is not sitting at the door protecting them so what happens a few weeks later they go right back into where they were and it's this horrible roller coaster of I'll be clean and sober for a couple weeks then I'm back down in the pit for months <laughs> clean and sober for a couple weeks back down in the pit for a couple months and it doesn't even have to be that Sometimes it's just things in life. Sometimes life gets to us. And so what happens is we feel overwhelmed. And work is getting to me. My kids are getting to me. Marriage is getting to me. My singleness, my loneliness, my lack of work. And so we have this horrible depression that comes in, this discouragement. But then we say, you know what? i got to pick myself up. Pull myself up here. i got to get myself through this. So what do we do? Verse 25, we put our house in order. We clean up a little bit. But nothing ever happens. Changed So since nothing ever changed, you go good for a week or two weeks and then you're right back to where you were. You can't keep your house clean. You can't guard the door of your house. You need the stronger man of Jesus to come in, truly fix things, and have him stand at the door of your life and guard your heart and soul. That's what he does. But we do it for a while and we think we're okay. No, we can't. you know people like that? Bad for a couple months, good for a couple weeks, bad for a couple weeks, good for a couple weeks. This horrible roller coaster of up and down, up and down. Now, I'm not saying it's the spiritual verses 24 through 26 of demonic forces coming in and coming out. Yes, that is possible when you're dealing with non believers, but even as believers, I think we go through something similar sometimes of this idea of I clean myself up and then I can't. I clean myself up and then I can't. What a horrible cycle that is. To have marriages where you go a week or two with no screaming, no yelling, no whatever, followed by a couple weeks of just utter silence and contempt for each other. Followed by life where you at your work, you're like, okay, I can handle this and it's good for a week, followed by weeks of just total depression and discouragement over what your life has. Weeks of victory over whatever drug or alcohol or even sin issues, be it cussing, be it gossiping, be it anger, followed by weeks of just being right back into it. What a horrible Tiresome existence that would be. Now, how do we have answers? The answer is the stronger man needs to come in, fix the house, lock the house, guard the house, protect the house. That's what you need. And that's what Christ does. Problem is, we're kind of protective of our house. I don't really want Christ coming in. I can still take care of it myself. I really don't think it's as bad as what it seems because you know what? I've trained myself for the decades I've been alive that this is just normal. It's just normal to have a couple good weeks followed by a couple bad weeks followed by a couple good weeks followed by a couple bad weeks. That's just normal. No, it's not. It's normal that this is what every couple goes through. It's normal that that's what everybody goes through at work. It's normal that somebody struggles with this and struggles with that. And Jesus is trying to say, wait a second. because I-, I can give you a victory that you can only realize through me. I'm not saying you're going to start walking in sinless perfection. But you can have the stronger man in your life guarding the door of your heart. Man, that's what we want. How does that happen? How does that come? Can you go to Ephesians, please? Ephesians 4. Sometimes I'll meet with somebody, and they'll contact me. Um, maybe they're struggling with the sin. Maybe they're struggling with just life. Maybe it's marriage counseling. And so we'll get together and we'll talk. And so we'll talk through stuff. We'll show scriptures. We'll pray. And I'll follow up with them after we get done meeting. And maybe a week or so later, say, hey, how are you doing? Doing good. Good. Okay, good. What's, what's going on? What's changed? Um, nothing's changed, really. But things are going good. Yeah, things are going good. Nothing's changed. As soon as I hear that, I start realizing this is just a brief respite of a week or two. It's going to go right back to where it was. Not because I have all the answers, because that's just what happens. Unless there's changes that happen in your life that fix the problems that were there, those problems are just going to pop back up. I hear people tell me a lot, I just need a fresh start. I need to turn over a new leaf. We just need to move. And I usually tell them, Change of location does not mean change of heart. Those same problems that you're struggling with here are probably going to follow you wherever you go. Because until you allow the stronger man of Christ to come into your life, clean up the house, and lock the door, it's just going to keep repeating. Once again, we've trained ourselves for decades to handle problems the same way. If you have an anger problem, it's probably because for many decades of your life, the way you handled problems was anger. Somebody yells at you, you yell back louder. Somebody intimidates you, you intimidate them more. If you've got a drinking problem, maybe it's something of the way your security blanket of life has always been drinking. Maybe you've always had the situation of, be it discouragement, you know what, one little thing in life goes wrong, and my whole life is miserable, my whole existence, and all this stuff. You've trained yourself to be on this up and down roller coaster, because that's the way human nature is. What we have here in Ephesians 4, is the way we're supposed to do this. Verse 17, please, of Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, testify in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Phrase, walk, denotes effort. You choose the path that you go down in life. Now, you may say that's not fair. My path has been chosen for me, beyond my control. You still choose how you react to that path. So, you choose how to walk. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. See, what happens is some people choose to walk in ignorance. They choose to walk in darkness, verse 18. They choose to walk in blindness. They choose to willfully allow their emotions to control them. They choose to handle situations in an inappropriate way, and therefore they walk in darkness, ignorance, and blindness. And they don't realize, why is it that things don't get fixed in their life? They don't realize, why is it that I keep repeating the same things? They don't realize, why is it that every couple months I just have this breakdown of, God, do you care, and what's going on, and I can't handle life? Because they're choosing to walk in ignorance, blindness, and darkness. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Verse 19, they go past feeling. They eventually become cold. Cold towards the Lord, cold towards people, cold towards life. That's the way they deal with it. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. See, Jesus is the truth that needs to be told. goes back to our passage in Luke. Only Jesus can fix the problem. Only Jesus can guard the door. Only Jesus can be the stronger man to kick out the strong man. Only Christ, verse 21, not you, not some 12-step program, none of that. It is Christ and Christ alone. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the seeful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. What do you need to do? Verse 22, put off the old. What do you do? Verse 24, put on the new. Too simple, right? That's the simplicity of Jesus. You put off the old You put on the new. So as you put off the old and put on the new, snuck in there in verse 23 is what? Your mind and your spirit are renewed. Oh, I love it. Now, is it that simple? Well, the answer is that simple. The follow through is hard. The answer is that simple. That's what Christ does. He takes care of the old and He replaces it with new. And what's the new He gives you? Verse 24. Righteousness. Holiness. Wow. Wow. See, once again, the problem is, and this is the difficulty that we will have until we taste physical death and are in heaven, is we have trained ourselves for years to handle life a certain way. So when we try to put off the old and put on the new, we have to let go of sometimes decades of habits. Decades of handling things. When a tough, stressful situation happens in your life, you've trained yourself to worry. Lord, put off the old, put on the new through Christ. When your spouse says something that frustrates you, you've trained yourself over decades maybe of marriage to say, golly, I married the dumbest person in the world. Put off the old, put on the new. You've trained yourself at work when something goes wrong at work, that I work with all complete idiots and this is the dumbest job in the world, whatever. Put off the old, put on the new. We have trained ourselves for years to handle situations and worry and anger and fear, which then takes us down paths we don't want to go be it language, be it gossiping, being backbiting, be it drugs, be it alcohol. We trained ourselves to do that. And so, what we do in Christ is we've been taught, verse 21, the truth. Verse 22, we put off the old. Verse 24, we put on the new. And verse 23, we're renewed. Oh, that's how it works. Now, what you have to decide, though, is where do you want to walk? Here's the last passage you're going to go to. Go back one book to the left. Galatians, please. Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. One book to the left there of Ephesians. This phrase, walk, once again, denotes effort. It denotes a choice in our part in what we want to do. Verse 16, please, of Galatians 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. The classic example that's been around for years is you have the two dogs. What dog is stronger? The one you feed. Same thing here. You have the flesh and the Spirit. What is stronger in your life, the flesh or the Spirit? Well, which one are you feeding? If you feed the flesh, the flesh will be stronger. If you feed the Spirit, the Spirit will be stronger. Hence, verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Make a choice that I want to be the spiritual being God has called me to be. Verse 17, it's a battle. See, I ask to think. You know, anytime we do a baptism service, and quick plug, if you are interested in getting baptized, let us know. We're planning a baptism service here for this spring. But anytime we do a baptism service, one of the things that we always say to those people publicly getting baptized is you just put a huge bullseye on your back. Because you are publicly claiming Christ. And as you publicly claim Christ, man, the enemy's going to come at you. It's a battle. It's a battle to have a stronger witness. It's a battle to stay pure. It's a battle to have a strong marriage. It's a battle to raise good kids. It's a battle. And it's a fleshly versus spiritual battle. And sometimes, verse 17, look at that last phrase. These are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things you wish. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror of life and said, why do I do those things? Right in the middle of the conversation, somebody says something that frustrates you, and you feel the flesh starting to burn, and one part of you says, just let it go, it's not worth a fight. And the other part says, nope, I'm going to say something. And I'm going to say it louder and meaner and tougher and nastier than what they said. But as you're even saying it, as the words are coming out of your mouth, there's a part of you that says, just shut up. Don't. See, there's this flesh battle, so we do the things that we don't want to do. What is the flesh? Look at verses 19 and 20 and 21. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, etc. That's not where we want to live. That's not what we want to do. What do we want? Verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the answer is found in verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also, here's our word again, walk in the Spirit. I want to make a conscious choice to follow the teachings of Christ. I want to make a conscious choice to realize there's a strong man in me that wants to sin. And I need the stronger man of Jesus to come in and clean up my house and lock the door for me. See, I I can clean up my house for a while, as we said earlier in the message. We, we, can, we can go a week or two or something, maybe even a couple months. We can go down a path of clean, of cleanliness. But without the strength and power of Jesus, it's not going to last. That's why we need Christ to come in and not only fix the situation, but also protect us, to help us. And as we feel ourselves wanting to go down a path of problems and difficulties again, we say, Lord, you give me the strength to do this. Because I can't do this on my own. I choose to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Martin, come forward here for the final song.